Hello, Spotlight friends. Welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight with your host, Chanel Shaw. Today, we are visiting with Father Blake Britton. We are going to talk all about re-entering back into parish life post-COVID and all of the hardships of these past year and a half. It's been so challenging. So we're so happy to have you with us, Father Blake. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm very happy to be here with you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You are from the, or not from the, but are you from the Orlando area? Did you grow up oh, around yeah, here? Oh yeah, I am. Oh I'm my gosh. Okay. Native. Floridian, oh. which I know we're a dying breed. There aren't many of us. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like so many people move here. So you're in, right. so you're from the Orlando area and yes. tell us more. Yeah. So born and raised in central Florida, the diocese of Orlando. I'm the oldest of four kids and uh, have a mother of Puerto Rican origin. And my father's from the United States and just had a fantastic childhood in central Florida. It really is amazing. Of course, didn't grow up too far from Disney World. <laughs> so went there on a regular basis and what have you. And uh, eventually felt a call to the priesthood, entered seminary for the Diocese of Orlando, and uh, have been a priest for the diocese for the past couple of years and enjoying priesthood very much. I've had several parish experiences, and I'm currently serving as a vicar for four parishes, actually, in Lakeland, Florida, as well as an assistant vocations director for the Diocese of Orlando, in addition to the other things that I'm doing outside of the diocese as well. So the Lord is keeping me busy with His work, but I absolutely love it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like the Lord is very much keeping you occupied, but that's great because He recognizes that you have tons of gifts. So Thank you for saying yes to God and blessing us. So it's an absolute pleasure and honor to be a priest of Jesus Christ. I couldn't be happier. It's an amazing life. Oh, that's awesome. I always growing up, I always, I mean, thought sisters, I think sisters still are the coolest um, sisters and nuns. And growing up, I always, my, my guy friends who entered seminary, I was like, man, this is the coolest thing to have a priest friend. Like priests are top tier. Like everyone that is a clergy is just the coolest. So thank um, you. So, yeah. It's like, so, thank you. so I was like, in, so now it's in all, awesome. In all humility, I think so too. No, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, so no. y'all are top tier. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. You. Yes. I know it is just like probably such a gift to be able to, you know, pastor community of people, especially after you know, this past year, I can't imagine what it was like. You've been yeah. a priest for a few years in the Diocese of Orlando. And in this past year, how have you kind of seen being a priest? Like, what has that looked like for you? It was really fascinating. My priesthood has been shaped by several major events, mm. uh, not least of which, of course, was the McCarrick uh, situation mm. and the coming out of the sexual abuse crisis, which I think was mm. actually quite formative for my generation of priests in a positive way. Of course, it's a horrific tragedy what took place. Mm. But it's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do even with something tragic to help form the future of the church. So within a couple months, my ordination, that was already out. That report came out. And that was a very pivotal moment for my priesthood, actually, uh, Mm. because it challenged me to ask myself what kind of priest I wanted to be and the kind of priest I felt Christ calling me to be for the sake of the church. And the Lord then used that attitude to then, of course, guide my priesthood throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, which is another very pivotal event in my generation of priests, and it will be for decades to come. We're Mm. going to be one of those few generations of priests that went through something that was so globally intensive as the COVID-19 pandemic. And I learned many lessons throughout this time period, specifically about the dignity of the priesthood, Mm. um, how vital and essential the sacramental life is 
for the church that were a religion of the incarnation, which we can speak about here in a few moments. And also, of course, about the prophetic nature of the church, that we as a church, we as the mystical body of Christ possess a vocation to prophecy, to speak the truth to the world, no matter the consequences, without regard of its own opinion about those truths, and also with the responsibility to awaken people to the truth of the gospel. So those were definitely some of the key lessons I learned throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And again, I would not mind elaborating on those in a moment in the podcast, Mm. but those are sort of the foundations that have spoken most deeply to me in my own priestly ministry. Mm. Oh my goodness. And those sound like amazing lessons. And especially I think during a time when people, you know, weren't really reflective, I think a lot of people were just very active throughout this entire pandemic and you're just trying to, we're all like in survival mode. So to be able to reflect ponder and kind of come through with any kind of lessons retained, that's a gift. That is awesome. Well, that's what ultimately distinguishes the church from the world is our Mm. ability to be reflective and contemplative when the world is anxious and fearful. And that's, of course, indicative to the foundations of the church herself, which is rootedness in Christ. Mm. See, death doesn't have authority over us. It has no power, as St. Paul teaches. So if death is not a factor, If disease, illness is not a factor, then we shouldn't be panicking or freaking out, but rather we should be asking ourselves, how are we to bring the gospel amidst this current environment? And that's true in many other circumstances as well. We've seen the church respond that way during the fall of Rome. We saw the church respond Mm. that way during the Napoleonic Wars, during, of course, the horrors of War I and World War II. So the church is constantly finding herself amidst these crises, and she cannot respond the way that the world responds. And if the voice of the church sounds like the voice of the world, we've got an issue. (laughs) That means Mm. that we're not thinking with Christ in the spirit. We have to be distinguished in our manner and in our tone and how we react to crisis or to tragedy in comparison to the world. And so I agree with you. I think there is something quite beautiful that as a church, we're able to reap lessons when the rest of the world is really concerned or scared. And I've thought about that as well, Chanel. It's, It's really, it's a fascinating thing how this is the first major crisis we've dealt with in a majority atheistic civilization. Mm. And I think it's very telling in our response to the crisis. So if you compare our response to this crisis to those in the pre-Christian or the Christian era, it was very different because the majority of the human populace had a notion of the religious or the transcendent. And that's quickly becoming no longer the case. And I believe that that revealed itself quite clearly in how this response was to COVID-19 because if there is nothing transcendent, there's nothing of religious value, well, then dying is a very scary and frightening thing. Mm. (laughs) I mean, preservation of life becomes the number one duty is to preserve myself, to keep myself safe from harm. And so this is where you get these mentalities of, of, again, this sort of hyper awareness of of personal health or what have you that may not necessarily be healthy. Of course, you have to have prudence and there should be practical things that we do to keep each other safe. I'm not disagreeing with that. But there also has to be an awareness that life always has a risk. And Mm. part of those risks are trusting in Christ and the providence of the Father. And if we don't have that kind of faith, well, then we're going to respond accordingly. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Coming through with a word. Thank you for sharing that. I just spoke to, actually, for a future interview, Sister Teresa Athletia. I don't know if you're Mm, familiar. Yeah. And we talked all about Memento Mori and kind of like, oh, so good. Oh my so gosh. And good. just kind of yeah. pondering our death. And that just reminds me a little bit of what you were just sharing. So, but I would love for you to share some of your reflections that you mentioned sure. earlier. Um, just expand a little bit more on those. 
Most certainly. The first was a reflection upon my own existence as a priest. So one of the most heartbreaking experiences throughout this pandemic, I think for everyone, was the suspension of public celebration of Mass. Mm. So no longer having the laity attend publicly the sacred liturgy, but do it via live stream or just through spiritual communion. For me as a priest in particular, I became a priest to serve God's people. And it was very strange and surreal for me to celebrate Mass in front of empty pews. It was a heart-wrenching experience. And I really had to take that to Christ and say, Lord, where are you? Where are you amidst this? And again, that's always the question that Christians have to ask. Christ is there. The secret is just trying to have the eyes to see him. So I was like, Lord, where are you in this? I know that everything is according to your will. I know that everything is in the end for the greater good and sanctification of the world. So help me understand how this is for me, how this is for my own holiness as a priest. And one of the great reflections that came out of that daily prayer, especially in front of the Blessed Sacrament, was an understanding of the essential nature of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That every time I celebrated the liturgy, and I did every single day, there was not a single day during the pandemic, during the public suspension of the liturgy, that I did not celebrate the liturgy privately. Every Mm -hmm. single Mass intention that was supposed to be done and every single prayer intention that was given to me was offered up every day through the Holy Eucharist. I never stopped celebrating Mass. The priest celebrating mass is sufficient to manifest the holiness of the church. That was one of the main lessons I learned that was quite powerful. Even though the people of God weren't there physically, and of course, ideally, they're supposed to be, but even if they're not there physically, I'm there. And Mm -hmm. I carry within my heart as a priest, the people of God, that I, I imbue within my flesh as a man ordained and conformed to the flesh of Jesus and his sacred priesthood. I have within my flesh, I carry within my flesh, I'm imbued within my person, also my sheep, the flock that's been entrusted to me. And every time that I faithfully celebrated the Eucharist in that empty church, I looked into the darkness of the pew and I held in my heart and I thought of the faces of my people. They were there. They were there. And the sacramental grace was being shared with them. That was a really powerful experience for me to learn as a priest, just about the profundity and the essential role that my vocation plays in the life of the church, and that ultimately the vocation of Jesus is priesthood. This isn't my priesthood. This Mm. is the priesthood of the Lord. And as long as there is a priest faithfully celebrating the Eucharist, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay, even if we can't see it. What matters is that it's being done for the glory of God. So that was the first and main lesson that I learned. Mm. Oh my gosh. Wow. Full body chills. I remember when the pandemic first started and we were kind of nearing towards Easter. And it was the lentiest Lent I think any of us have ever ever experienced in our whole lives. And I just remember as we were nearing Easter and thinking, talking to my roommates and we were all like, well, you know, maybe this will all be like resolved, maybe a little bit more. They can allow us to go to mass for Easter. Like what is Easter without sitting in a church, you know? And I just remember that Easter Sunday, putting on a dress and sitting in my room and like watching mass on my laptop and just feeling like, whoa, like this is, and it was so powerful because the priest that was celebrating mass that I was watching was just like sharing with the parishioners, how powerful it is that he's celebrating mass. And, you know, and, and even though we weren't there, the fact that it was being celebrated is such a powerful Testament to like God still being in control, you know? Exactly. And I just, oh, and I was just like so emotional because I was like, I can't believe, you know, because it becomes very centered. Right. And we're like, I can't right. believe that I'm sitting in my house and that I'm which, of course, was very upsetting. But I just think it was so powerful to see, you know, God still at work, you know, still not stopping 
the celebration of the mass, although like we weren't there and that was very upsetting. So right. Well, I think it was a great opportunity for us to reevaluate the theology of the Eucharist itself as mm. sacrifice. Before yes. all else, as the Second Vatican Council says, the Eucharist is a sacrifice. And what's important is the sacrifice itself, not our reception of the sacrifice. In other words, mm. in order for a Mass to be valid, we do not have to receive Holy Communion. All that is necessary for the validity of Mass is the sacrificial prayer of Christ himself through his priest. That's what constitutes the validity and also the efficaciousness of the grace. So if that's being done, then the grace is being shared. And I believe, again, that's something very important to remember. It's a great lesson to us because you're right. There's sometimes this temptation to, I don't want to say this in a derogatory way, but to become egocentric almost with the liturgy yeah. and say, you know, mm -hmm. well, man, I didn't, I didn't get to do this or I don't have to have that or I would like the music or I would like this kind of sermon or I would like mm -hmm. this kind of art, whatever it might be <laughs> in, in either superficial, more profound ways. But that's not what the liturgy is about. In the end, the liturgy is about offering right worship through the wisdom and, and the holiness of the Son, by the sanctifying grace of the Spirit, to the glory of the Father. And that's why the highest point of the Mass is not the reception of Holy Communion, but according to the theology of the Church. The high point of the Mass is what we call the doxology, through Him, with Him, and in Him, in the unity mm. of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. That's actually the pinnacle of the Holy Mass, because all of creation is entering through the sacrifice of the Son, by the grace of the Spirit, back into, as St. Paul says, a ministry of reconciliation with the Father. So as long as that prayer is being said faithfully by a validly ordained priest of Christ, then grace is being born into the world and the world is being saved. Mm, that is amazing and so powerful. Thank you, priests. Um, thank you for <laughs> doing what you do. I can't do what you do, so I appreciate it. And I'm sure the rest of us do as well. So during this time, you had a lot of time to reflect. You had a lot of time right. to kind of think about all the ways that God was using you and you know his people. I don't know, but I'm sure there was an absence, right? And maybe as a priest kind of leading the way that you would normally lead people at a parish right. with different parish groups, parish missions, et cetera, and then not having those things, but now being kind of reintroduced to those things as we're opening back up churches and programs. And so you actually wrote a awesome book. And I'm going to say the whole name so then everyone can search it. And we're also going to put it in our show notes so you can check it out. But it's Catholicism After Coronavirus, A Post-COVID Guide for Catholic Churches and Parishes. So for Catholics and parishes. So a little bit about that you shared in the book, different ways from different aspects, whether it's on like a youth ministry level, on a priestly level kind of how to re-enter back into your parish life and back into your Catholic life as a practicing person. So right. can you share a little bit more about that book and how what inspired sure. you to write it and kind of what you're looking forward to people gaining from it? Yeah, most certainly. Again, the book addresses, uh, and it's not just myself, there are several other authors who also contributed to it as well mm -hmm. with Word on Fire Institute, Word on Fire Press, just a great group of people. And our main goal was to lead the people of God in a reflection on how to healthily, prudently, and zealously enter back into practicing their faith. It's time to do that. Thank God. I think the Holy Spirit's pushing us all in that direction. There's definitely a need to spiritually reboot, I think, <laughs> for many people. I've heard this on a yes. regular basis from a number of my own parishioners, as well as those who follow me through social media or Word on Fire, Avermaier Press, whatever it may be. I re regularly receive messages and emails saying, Father, I, I've really felt spiritually deprived, if you will. And 
and I'm not, again, putting the blame on anyone in particular. It's just, I think, a natural consequence of having this longevity without the sacraments or what have you. So there's a lot of people that are wanting to reinvigorate and to rekindle that fire of the faith. So I specifically focused on the pastoral response of the church during the COVID-19 pandemic and how we are to move forward. And again, what I really honed in on was the prophetic nature of the church. Mm. The fact that we as the church are called by Christ to always speak to the world, not to speak with the world, to speak to the world. So what a distinction. Okay. Yeah. That's a powerful and important distinction for us that we're always called to be the voice of Christ to the world to remind her of the beautiful, the good, and the true. That Mm. means that we have to speak free of any medical, political, geoeconomic factors and be able to, with true liberty in the spirit, say what is the fact and also say what is most needed for God's people, which may not necessarily coincide with the narrative that's popularly being strewn in society. Mm. So I really do hone in on that in the book. And in particular, one of the things that I focus on in my essay is we cannot let fear dictate faith. And that's something I think has happened, again, as a natural consequence of living in an increasingly secular, atheistic, and materialistic world, and our own response to this specific crisis at this time in history and civilization's progression, that you saw a lot of people treat this as the end-all, be-all. And that's because they're responding to this without faith. But if we look at the COVID-19 pandemic through the lens, integrated into the lens of the Catholic faith, of the Catholic purview, we understand that actually it's a very small aspect. It's not doesn't have a huge power or authority over my life. What's more important, of course, is loving Jesus Christ, is encountering him in the Eucharist, is being active with him through my participation in the sacred liturgy in the life of my parish. Those are the things that take priority in my mind and my heart. So one of the things I did encourage people to do was if there's any sense of fear or anxiety, remember that's never from the spirit. The Holy Spirit never plants fear and never plants anxiety. And then what the Holy Spirit always gives us is peace, enthusiasm, joy, mercy, justice. St. Paul names all those gifts of the spirit in his letters. We are at a time now when the world needs messengers of hope, Mm. needs witnesses to the joy and the goodness of the gospel, especially as we come out of this pandemic. And I believe that it's going to be incumbent upon Catholics to be those testaments of hope and of joy, those testaments who go out into the world and say, we will not allow fear, we will not allow anxiety, we will not allow politics, we will not allow government, we will not allow any of these geoeconomic factors that are just purely of this world to dictate our response. Our Mm. response is going to always be one that is fully in line with Christ, in line with his church, and in line with his truth and divine mercy. That's what we have to do if we're really going to pierce this world. And what's most fascinating to me as, as I see the Chanel is that if we live according to that principle, it is amazing how quickly the voice of the church goes to the white noise of the world. And all of a sudden, people are saying, wait a second. The way the church is speaking, the way that Catholic person is speaking, the way that priest, that laywoman, that layman, the way that they're living this life, And when I say speaking, I don't just mean with the mouth, but speaking with our way of life as well, the way that we live, the way they live is different. Why? Why is it different from what I saw in this station or I read in this article? Why is when I look at them, there's a light in their eyes. There's one of my favorite letters in church history comes from an author named Diogensius. And it's actually a letter rather to a person named Diogensius. And he's trying to understand what makes Christians different in the world. And he says that there's a light in a Christian's eye that's different from the light of other people's eyes because Mm. their eyes twinkle with this light as if they're on pilgrimage, 
as if they don't belong here in the end. Like they're constantly thinking about some far off land. And it's true. <laughs> Oof, <laughs> it's the true. world is our ship, as they say. The world yes. is our ship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the, the aspects that I focus on in this particular aspect of the book. And, and I think it's important for us to prey upon those and reflect as we move forward to take the data that we know, to take the data that we've received. We are people of faith and reason. So it's important for us to have that. But it's always faith and reason together, not one or the other, mm. <laughs> not one or the other. So how can we really be a people of faith and reason as we seek to lead the world? The church is supposed to lead the world, not lead from behind. The church is supposed to lead the world to be the, the ultimate voice of truth and of goodness and of wisdom throughout the world. So how are we called to do that in this time that we find ourselves? Oh, I love that. And I want to hone in on something that you said. So sure. you were talking about joy and I feel yeah. like the more people I've spoken to and even just my own reflection, I was telling my friend the other day, I, you know, now that we're, you know, kind of easing back into being able to experience life outside of our homes. And maybe that means going back to work, sending our children back to school. You know, there's different degrees of entering back in that we're all doing. And I think there's a joy that we've been lacking because we haven't been able to experience those things. And I feel like a lot of us, you know, it's hard to access joy because there's been so much dread, right? Yes. And so much loss. And it's appropriate for us to grieve loss and for us to kind of rest in that as well. But then how do we kind of rest in joy and kind of rejoice in that rather than anxiety as we're transitioning back into life, right? I'm sure as a priest, you do, you know, you celebrate for us and you provide us with, you know, sacraments, which are amazing. And thank you. But you also, you know, lead and walk with us on a day to day, right? And spiritually yes. guide us. And so, what would you say to someone that wants to enter into a more joyful existence, you know, moving forward? Well, for those who know me, maybe Chanel, in these interactions, I know that you and I have met before this podcast. Mm-hmm. I- I thank God that one of the gifts I was given was the gift of joy. I'm a very, <laughs> I'm a very joyful, laughy, just fun-loving person. And a lot of times, I'm asked why. And I've prayed about that before because that's a very legitimate question. I'm like, Lord, why am I happy? You know, there's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of broken things in this world. Why am I able just to laugh and to be joyful all the time? And I really reflected on that because I needed the Holy Spirit to help me understand myself. Um, St. Augustine will talk about that. You know, we, the Lord understands us better than we know ourselves. So mm-hmm. I was like, Lord, what is that? And, and finally, the, the answer that the Holy Spirit gave me was, I am utterly convinced that I'm loved Oof. to the very core of my being. I'm convinced that I'm the apple of the father's eye, that he's looked at me and that he's embraced me and that he, he holds me and that I'm precious in his sight. I believe that with everything that I am. And I'm getting emotional now just even saying those words. I'm like tearing mm. up, but, but that's the truth. And I wake up every single morning with that conviction. And that's not just true for me. That's true for you. That's true for everybody. Every single man, woman, and child on this planet is loved by the father. And if that's the case, then why are you afraid? Why are you sad? Why are you worried? Name for me one thing in this world that's more powerful than that, that has more authority, that, that can take away the gift that you have been chosen and that you are precious in the Father's sight. Mm. The only time that we become sad is when we forget that truth. And this is Satan's number one game. This is what he wants. See, what does Satan hate more than anything? He hates reality. Why? Because reality is where God lives. Reality is where we find the Lord, especially the reality of our identity as his beloved children. So Satan's constant game is to abstract us into a world of fantasy, 
to make mm. us, uh, and he does that by overinflating the power of evil or destruction. So making something that in the end is temporary look eternal or magnificent or powerful. But of course, it's not. The only thing that's magnificent and powerful is the Father's love and the salvation of Jesus Christ and the grace of the Spirit. That's it. Everything else is turning to dust. But the mm. one thing that will always stay is God's love for you. And the moment that we realize that, again, all these different things fade into nothingness. They become very, very irrelevant. And we are able to see life with a true perspective, no matter what happens. And this is what allowed the saints, some saints who were in concentration camps, some saints whose children were taken from them and murdered in the Colosseum, some saints who were brutally tortured and vicious, some saints who were slaves. This is what allowed saints in these horrific, horrific circumstances to smile. And to find joy anyways, because saints are not people with perfect circumstances. Saints are people who see their circumstances perfectly. And they're able to interpret reality through the mind of Christ, as St. Paul says, through the lens, as the Lord will say to Peter, with the eyes of God, not the eyes of man. And this is what we have to acquire if we want to have that spirit of joy. And again, that's what the world is looking for us to provide. Mm. Wow. You are speaking to, I'm sure, you know, you're speaking to my heart and I'm sure you're speaking to a lot of people that are listening that just feel so bogged down by <laughs> life. Right. And, right, right. and it's, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to be in a time when you feel like it's not even appropriate for you to be happy. Right. right. Um, it's not appropriate. It's not necessary because there's so many other important things to focus on. But when you say it, like, you know, joy is really just a manifestation of you knowing how beloved you are. That's, insane to think about, you know? And so it really is appropriate. It's always appropriate. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. you know, it's like both great and sad that we, you know, come to the points where we need to remind ourselves so frequently. So that's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you know, you're most welcome. And, and again, I just thank God. I thank God for his incredible generosity and love that he desires to share this with us. And that's one of the, my main missions as a priest is to spread, as Pope Francis says so wonderfully, the, the joy of the gospel. Mm. <laughs> that, that is one of the most attractive things to me about the Catholic Church is the magnificent joy it manifests if you live according to her truth and to her teachings. There's just such a liberty and freedom that fills your soul. It just blows my mind. And again, I've been convicted by it and uh, filled with it for some time now. And I just want to share that as much as possible with others. Oh, well, thank you for sharing it with us today. We're honored to have had you. And where can we learn more about what you're up to and what you're doing? Yeah, I'm a little hard to keep track of. I'm yeah, all over the place like You seem nowadays. like you have 10 jobs. So where can, we, where can we learn about one of them? Yeah. So I always feel bad. You know, my parishioners are like, Father, where are you? I'm like, I promise. They're like, you are nowhere yet everywhere. Right? <laughs> it's like, I, I know where you are. I've seen you on this thing. I've heard you on the thing, right, but right. I also don't know where you are. I love that. If you want to follow me, the best place is through social media, you know, through Facebook and Instagram. So I have my own public Facebook page, which is Father Blake Britton. You can follow that page, like the page. Um, most of the things that I publish will be through Facebook and Instagram. That's like the number okay. one way I share the news. Now, of course, you know, I have things with Word on Fire and through other platforms. But that's if you want to know sort of the most up-to-date of what I'm up to, the best thing would be Facebook and Instagram. And also the Burrowshire Podcast is the name of my own podcast that I have with Mr. Brandon Vaught. It's a really enjoyable podcast. It sort of has the same kind of timbre that we've had during this podcast where we just go through the tops of life, but it's specifically targeted to millennials and Gen Z Catholics. Mm. And, it's, uh, and it's reached that generation of Catholics very well, thank God. 
So the Borough Shire podcast is another thing that you could subscribe to at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or just go online and on YouTube and you could subscribe to it there as well. So those are a couple of the places that you could find me. And, and I know with the, my upcoming book, Reclaiming Vatican II, that there'll be a lot more opportunities as well that's, that's being published by Ave Maria Press. And I just can't... I cannot express enough gratitude to Ave Maria and just all the great things that you do as people like you, Chanel, and, and of course, the publication team. They're really... They're incredible. They're professional. They're spiritual. And they have a great kindness and enthusiasm about them for the gospel. So I love working with Avermeer Press and I hope to for many years to come. Oh, we hope you do as well because you're, <laughs> you. you're a real gem, you know? So this is Thank awesome. <laughs> so at the end of every episode, we ask each guest what their hope for the week is. So something that you're hopeful for, looking forward to. And so this is going to be, right now as we're recording, this will be for next week, something that you're looking forward to and that you're hopeful for. If you need time, I can go. Or if you're feeling ready, you can go first. How are you feeling? You go first. Ladies first. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Southern gentleman after oh, all. Oh, yes, <laughs> I know. I was like, it's definitely different from Philadelphia. There people would be like, I'll go first. Um, right, right. <laughs> so, okay. So awesome. So something that I am hopeful for, for next week, one of my good friends, Hannah, from that I was my roommate at Ave Maria University, where I went, she lives in Clearwater, Florida. So she is going to come to my house in over here in Deltona. And we are going to go to a drive-in movie and I'm so excited. I've never been to one. Yeah. I've never been to one. So I'm excited to go. And I'm just, you know, I'm hopeful for a continuation of like good, uplifting, virtuous friendship. You know, I, I love having friends that I don't only have fun with, but that, you know, she's a very faithful woman as well. So I'm excited that we're going to go to this drive-in movie and we're going to get to spiritually catch up. And, you know, it's just always nice being able to plug in with someone like that. So I'm hopeful that our friendship continues to grow in that way. So it's going to be really fun. And we're going to go see Shang-Chi, which I am super excited about. It's a new Marvel movie. So I am like beyond myself excited to go see that. So Anyway. Yeah, it's been, like it's been a while since they came out with a really good like that's Marvel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I know Black Widow came out, but I guess there yeah. hasn't been that much in the past couple. I, yeah. I heard Black some Widow, some rough things about Black that. Black Widow movie. was kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. was it? <laughs> it was like not a vibe. Yeah. It was. Right, it was right. okay, but I mean, it was very, 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 very dark. Like, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Like the first fifteen minutes, if you can make it through the first fifteen and be like, okay, but then throughout it, it just gets more like, okay. Right, right. There's no, like, there's no does like Disney resolve. own this. Like, where's yeah. the princesses? Where's exactly. The yeah, there's like no resolve, and it's just kind of right, like, right. okay, like she passes away. Which spoiler alert for anyone, she dies in like <laughs> Endgame or Infinity War. But it's like she just, yeah, it's sad. So I'm excited for Shang Chi. It's supposed to be really right. good, and um, I'm excited to see some Asian representation up in there. That should be really cool. Yeah, so that'd it be should super be, cool. Yeah, so it should be awesome. I'm excited. But how about yeah, you? And I've always been fascinated fascinated with martial arts and stuff too, like since Ooh. I was a kid. So I just, and just even like the ancient Asian tales and stories. I mean, mm. this is so rich. One of those ancient cultures actually in the world. So it's really cool to, to have a representation in that regards for sure. Mm-hmm. For me, this upcoming week, we'll be having something called Convocation, which is the annual gathering of priests from around the diocese. And this oh, is wow. a, a especially important one for us because, you know, I've been a priest now. I guess I'll be going up for four or five years, but I've only had one convocation because oh every single year something has happened. Has happened. <laughs> the first two years was 
hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> and for my fellow Floridians, you know that a, a hurricane shuts down everything for a little while. So the first two years was hurricanes. And then of course the last two were from the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm like, I don't know if there are other priests in this diocese. Am I the only priest left in this diocese? Like, you know, we have, oh we never see gosh. each other anymore. So. Wow. That's so exciting. So it's just priests yeah. from all over. Yeah. So all the priests, of the diocese gathered together for a few days with the bishop. And, you know, we pray together, we have conferences together and just hang out. You know, we'd spend time in fraternity, which it's one of the, the great joys. And it's funny because, again, it was one of the things I was looking forward to the most in my ordination of the priesthood. I've gotten to enjoy the least. So, so hopefully this is the beginning of an actual annual event that I'm able to enjoy for the rest of my priesthood. But, uh, but yeah, so that's probably what I'm looking forward to most in this upcoming week is being with my brother priest. It's always refreshing. And you hear a lot of things sometimes, especially in secular media, about the church and the priesthood. But I can tell you, the majority of priests are really amazing holy men. They really are. They're just great, great men who want to serve you and want to serve the church. And the same thing goes for our bishops. We're blessed with very good and loving bishops. And, and I know there's criticism out there and what have you. And you know, now's not the time or place to get into the details of it. What I will say is this, is that we are blessed. We are blessed. And at least in my own experience, I'm very uplifted and built up by our bishops and our priests. So I'm thankful to God for that gift. Oh, and we will be praying for you guys as you meet, you know, thank you. Praying for our priests is so important. So we'll be doing that. And we're so excited that y'all get the opportunity to meet and hang out. That must be so fun. What a, what's yeah. going to be such a holy, holy space. How cool yeah. is that? It's <laughs> exactly. like, wow. It's like when you see you a group like of almost, nuns at like a burger priests together. So it's, yeah, cool. it's like you see a group of nuns in a grocery store and you're like, wow, this is the holiest grocery store. That is so, <laughs> that's so fun. That's such a cool thing. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. And thank you, Chanel. I mean, you're just a delightful person and, oh, and thank you thank for all that you do. And it really has been an absolute pleasure and honor. Oh, thank you. We're excited for everyone to listen. So awesome. Thank you guys again for listening. And thank you so much to Father Blake for being our guest today. Make sure to check out his book with Word on Fire, Catholicism After Coronavirus, a post-COVID guide for Catholics and parishes. It's an awesome resource. And I know it's going to be so helpful, especially as we're slowly re-entering back into normal life. I can't wait to talk to y'all next week. Again, I am so happy to be a host over here at Ave Spotlight. Looking forward to talking to y'all next week. In the meantime, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.